you've started your business. You've made a few calls. You've sent a few emails. You've had people ignore you. How do you find the energy to keep going? You're going to be rejected. People are going to ignore you. When you're starting your business, you're trying to go out into the world, get people's attention, get them to be interested, find enthusiasm, and then ask them to buy. And that process is tough. Rejection is coming. The question is, how do you stay strong whilst you're going through this rejection? Is it worth it to get to the other side to build the business you want? The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. And I'm very excited about this episode. I had someone contact me through Facebook Messenger who said he'd been listening to the show and had built a business around golf. And I was intrigued. I don't know many people running golf businesses. I was fascinated. So I thought I'd reply. We had a chat and we set up a chance to chat on the podcast. So welcome to the show, Travis. Oh, I'm so stoked to be here, Alan. And like I've mentioned to you before we press record, I'm a huge fan of you and very, very active listener to the podcast and pretty much everything you produce. And you've pretty much set the tone for me for where I am today. That's amazing. Thank you. And I think, well, sometimes you just record a podcast. And I was reflecting on this the other day. You just chat to one person on the podcast and then you put it out there and you hope, like you can see the numbers of people listening and you hope people listen, but you never know until someone comes and says, oh, I actually listened to that and did something about it. So to get people contacting me and say, oh, this episode, I did this and I sold something. That just makes my day because that's basically what this podcast is all about. The podcast from the start has been, can we inspire people to make money doing something they love and just get going? So tell us, where did this all start for you? Because I'm assuming you haven't always run your business. No, definitely not. Yeah. So golf I've played since I was a child and I started coaching golf in 2012. The previous five years before this, and actually, I probably wouldn't be on this episode if certain things hadn't happened. But the previous five years, I was coaching golf in Shanghai, China. Oh, wow. Of all places. And had a fantastic experience in China. Worked for an amazing staff team. Learned a lot about just coaching golf and just the business side of things. But I was an employee of a golf academy out there in Shanghai. That's an incredible job. Like As far as yes. jobs go, <laughs> that's an experience. <laughs> had you been to Shanghai before? Yeah, yeah, I'd been there before. I actually, I taught English in a city close to Shanghai in 2009 to 2011. That's actually where I met my wife, who's Polish, not Chinese, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went back to China after I started getting in the profession of coaching golf to coach golf with a contact that I had out there. So I had been there before. That's incredible. So yeah, I'd probably still be in China. Actually, I know I'd still be in China had the pandemic not happened. Ah, and a couple of interesting things here is so I've always been an employee. I've never been self-employed until this point. I um, And like I said, I enjoyed my job. I was going down the FI path from Shanghai, China. Started my own FI group before I found Choose FI. Wow. Got up to 100 people. Yep. And that's how I found you, actually, was just kind of through the FI community. So my wife and I, we had our finances pretty well in order. I had a good income. We were saving, investing. We had money aside for travel. We had this big plan at the end of 2019 
that we want to save enough money in an emergency fund or transition fund so that when and if we move back to the United States, we would have enough money to kind of give us a runway for six months to a year just in case. And that was November 2019. (laughs) That sounds like that came in useful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. So come January 2020, we take a three-week holiday back to the U.S. to see family because it's Chinese New Year and nothing happens in China. Except the only thing that happened in China this year was coronavirus. Yes. And we were in America when that happened. And my wife was six months pregnant with our second son. So I messaged my boss and I said, hey, you know, what's going on with uh, back in China, uh, you know, with this thing called coronavirus? Yeah. Like, because I was just there 10 days ago. And he just said, yeah, you probably shouldn't come back right now with your pregnant wife and your, your older son, maybe wait it out a little bit. So we waited six weeks. And so, you know, I had my travel fund that was supposed to last for three weeks. Now we're on six weeks and we're now not looking like we're going to be making it back to China because my wife's like, I don't know if I want to go back and deliver a baby there. So what do we do? So we diverted to Poland. So my wife's from Poland. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we, uh, yeah, so we got to Poland and I dropped her off. I went back to China. I was like, I'm going to work for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to uh, come back and make sure I'm there for the delivery of our son. And next thing I know, I'm in China and everything around the world, like shit hit the fan. Yeah. Everything yeah. closed. Everything closed. So China closes their border to nobody. If you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out, basically. And they cancel all flights. You only get one flight per week per country. So I got an emergency flight from Shanghai to London, Heathrow. Wow. And I'm a Fi guy. And we don't like to spend money on flight tickets, do we? No, no, I don't like to spend money at all. But I think this is an situation where you're going to have to have spent more than you realized. Yeah, $3,500 more than I wanted to spend. And so anyways, I get back to Poland in time. I'm there for the delivery of my son. He was born on my birthday. It all worked out really well. Now, I'm in Poland. I don't have a job. So I'm starting to think, what do I do? uh, (laughs) And people don't... Do you think people play a lot of golf in Poland? I've been to Poland quite a few times. My wife's family's from Poland. Is that right? It's not a huge golfing nation. Uh, They're more likely to eat pierogi. Uh, than they are play golf, I would yes. assume. Yes, you are right. But I took one of your tactics. <laughs> I took one of your tactics and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call every golf course in the country and see if they can hire me. Oh, I love that. That's action. Yeah. That's positive action. I love that. Yes. And you know how many people said that they could hire me? Uh, zero because it was crazy times. Yeah, exactly. Right. So <laughs> waited it out. Anyways, the only thing I could do was start a podcast. So I did that. And it was around junior golf, which is something that's a passion of mine. I was thinking if I can start something that is important to me, to potential future clients, it might pay off in the future. So that was all I could do for 10 months until we got back to the United States. So that's the back story about where I'm at. So I get back to the United States and I'm like, what do I do? I need to start a company. I need to start a new job, a new business. And my whole family had a lot of doubt. And what do you think my family was trying to tell me? Get a job. <laughs> to do. Get a secure yeah. job. Come on. That's the way to do it. And they care about you. They're doing mm-hmm. what they know will lead to security. And that's the best they can do. And that's like, I have the same thing. My mom wants me to, did, did. She's given up now. Uh, but she, <laughs> she wanted me to get a job and stick at it. And same with my granny. Yeah. So they, they tell you, get a job that will lead to security. right? So my mom's searching for golf jobs for me. She's saying, Travis, you know, here's a golf job. Why don't you do this one? My brother's sending me sales jobs that aren't even in the golf industry. You know, my wife's looking at jobs that are in the golf industry, but it has nothing to do with coaching golf. And so everybody's trying to help, like, you know, but it's just not what I wanted. And this will resonate with you is I had to try to tell them, I'm like, the job I want doesn't exist on a job board. 
Ooh. Like it's something I need to create and I believe I can create it. So to try to tell that to people who have worked their whole lives as employees, retired as employees, have pensions from being employees to tell them this is something you want to do when you've got two young kids and you've been on savings for 15 months is not an easy task. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the kids bit as well, isn't it? It's like, what are, you, yeah. what are you doing? You've got kids, you've got family, you've got responsibilities, you've already had 15 months of craziness. Right. Yeah. And well, society is trying to protect you. They're trying to look after your family. They're trying to do what they know best. But that makes it hard for you if you've got this thing inside you that says, I know I can do this. And then all of a sudden, rightly and wrongly, it's you against the world. And you all have positive intentions. You all are doing it for the right reasons. But it's you versus the world. 100%. And, you know, how do you feel when you're alone in that situation and people start doubting you and stop believing the words that you're saying and you have this image in your head, right? It goes one of two ways. Yeah. It goes one of two ways. You either collapse and give in and get the job or you start to fight and it's not pretty at times, but you kind of claw your way out. Mm -hmm. I, I've been there too. <laughs> what was the vision you had in your mind at that point? What was the job you wanted to create? So I wanted to create a job where it was primarily focused around children and families. So basically, I believe that experiences and a positive community and environment will help everybody thrive, regardless if it's golf or not. So I wanted to create a golf experience around that. And I needed management to be open to that type of idea at a golf course. And I needed it to be where I could come in and do it kind of on some of my own terms, being separate from an employee of the golf course. And so that's what I was looking for. Okay, so you were looking for a golf course that could be your home. Mm -hmm. And then to say to that golf course, you give me the space, I'll operate the business, I'll probably promote to your customers, I'll bring in new people, and then some kind of profit share or some kind of fee, something that comes as you grow the business and become more successful. Yeah, I think you could be a golf coach, Alan, just understanding that dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so... What did I do? I took the same tactic and things I've learned from you. I had three areas. I was San Francisco Bay Area, Sacramento area, and San Diego area. Okay. What did I do? I called every single freaking golf course I could and just like literally cold calling, trying to tell them who I was, what I was about, and what I was trying to do. First two weeks, you know how many people picked up the phone? Oh, dear. Like I've been there. Actually picked up the phone. So in two weeks, you didn't speak to anyone. Well, it surely felt that way. I would say I spoke to probably two or three people out of the 50 or 60 calls I was making. And it took about three weeks until people started calling me back. Wow. So like, there's some questions here. How? Yeah. Because I talk about this a lot, that there's a period where you're doing stuff and nothing happens. How did you get through that? Because the rejection, the rejection at that point, like that caused me a huge amount of pain. How did you get through that two to three weeks of just putting energy out there. You know, there was some type of deep down belief that I knew that from my experience and the person that I was that if I could just get the right person on the phone, they would start to sense just from my enthusiasm over the phone that, hey, this guy might have a decent head on his shoulder and he might be able to add value to our facility. And my brother always told me he's a, he's a salesman and he's very successful in <laughs> every company he's ever worked for. But he always said, you know, you're one more no away from a yes. 
And so I heard a lot of no's, but I knew there should be a yes at some point coming for it. He's hoping for it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I get off the phone and I'm leaving these voicemails and I I look at my wife and my parents. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it seems positive. I'm sure I'll, um, I'll chat with them. So tactic two, this is another maybe aggressive one. Maybe it's a rebel tactic. They weren't picking up the phone. So what did I do? I hopped in the car and I would literally drive around this. Like I went to the Sacramento area first and I literally drove around the city the entire day and just stopping at golf courses and just walking in the door. And I would just say, yeah, who's the general manager of the facility? Can I speak with them? Because I have a good friend and he told me, he said, Travis, when people meet you and see your enthusiasm, they're going to want to buy in. They're going to want to buy you essentially. Right. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, that's what you got going for you. Is the smile, the presence, the energy, and like the one that rings to me, which is along similar lines, is sales is nothing more than a transfer of enthusiasm from one person to another. And if you can go into that golf course and infect them with your enthusiasm for what you can see is possible, you've just got to get to them. And that's the hardest bit. You've got to drag them out of their world, get their attention, get to them somehow. So you're, you've gone from calling people to drive, I will get to them. I'm going to drive and see them. And then what happened? Like, what were the first one or two like? So meeting people in person is a lot easier than talking to them over the phone. And they were very kind and they were warm and welcoming. But it wasn't necessarily, I wasn't walking into terms that I could actually negotiate. It was more like, if we could have you on, these would be the terms of you being an employee at this facility. And by the way, we want to take 30% of any business that you do. So and that's not what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> no. And uh, yeah, that comes back to, I guess, the negotiating bit. Never take the first offer. Keep seeing what's out there. So how many of these places did you drive to? So I drove all around Sacramento. I did two Sacramento trips. And then I did one Bay Area trip. And Sacramento, I probably went to, I think I did 20 golf courses that I visited in Sacramento and San Francisco Bay I did 10. And then before I said yes, took your advice there, hopped on a plane and flew to San Diego. Did you? Yes, I did. And that's where I'm at right now. So you can probably guess that <laughs> <laughs> patience was a virtue in that aspect. So I came to San Diego and um, I had 10 courses I wanted to visit down here. And I had a few appointments set up to meet with people. And of course, the morning of, they said, oh, can we reschedule to tomorrow? You know, and it's like, geez, I've just fallen down here, right? I've flown here. Yeah. Like, did you say that to them? I was kind. And I just said, okay, yeah, you know, I think I can rearrange things. And I remember driving in the car and I'm not like a spiritual guy at all, but I remember driving in the car and like, you know, I've just been through 15 months of tough life conditions. And here I am with all the doubts and everything. I'm haven't found anything in Sacramento or the Bay Area and I've flown to San Diego and I'm like these people like they still don't want to see me and I'm just driving the car and I'm saying out loud Travis just don't give up and I don't know why but like I was at this point where it's just like I have to convince myself like to not give up and I just I, I could tell you exactly where I was on the highway when I was saying this out loud because I just remember thinking it's like you know just stay positive don't give up something's gonna work I just know it and sure enough around the corner something paid off. And um, I found a facility that kind of ticked off all the boxes that I was looking for. Was this one that you had a pre-appointment with or one that you just drove up to? Yes. So I had a pre-appointment to this one. Yes, I did. And they didn't rearrange. You showed up. They did rearrange, but I still showed up. (laughs) 
So they tried to rearrange. They tried to fob <laughs> you off because they were busy, but you were like, yeah. no, I'm still showing up. <laughs> I walked in. I sat at one of the picnic tables outside and I just waited. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've flown down here. Just find 10 minutes to see me, please. Please. I'm like, mate, I mean, I've been through, you know, at this point, I've been through everything. It's like, I've just, I, I can't give up. Like I have to, I'm already, I've flown here. I have to, <laughs> I have to have this meeting, right? <laughs> Oh, man. And I think when people hear about successful businesses, they sometimes forget the pain people go through when they're starting. And I also think that we forget, like we're looking back at laughing at it now, but I bet at the time it was quite an experience just just to stay positive, just to keep going. And I think if anyone's listening to this right now and you're in that stage of your business where you're putting it out there, you're doing as Travis did and you're calling everyone and nothing's happening stay positive. I mean, what would you say to people, Travis, if they're in this stage where they're putting energy out there, they're giving energy, they know they've got a good idea, and yet they've just hit brick wall after brick wall, what would you say to people? Don't give up. Plain and simple, don't give up. I mean, that is what kept me motivated. And deep down, again, I'm not spiritual, but I think when there's something in your gut that's saying you can do this or something in your gut saying, I know I can make this work, I think you've got to trust that. And just know that there's an opportunity around the corner. And that's what I kept telling myself was that there is going to be an opportunity. I know that myself as a product of who I am, I know I can perform. I just need to find the right place at the right time. And being patient really did pay off. Yeah. So I'm actually really curious because I love the don't give up saying because that like keep repeating that. What else kept you going through this period? Because this is this sounds like it was a month, maybe a six week period of really putting yourself out there. Like what else? What else did you do to keep yourself positive each day? Uh, well, I got two children and a wife from Poland who's not working. And, uh, you know, one child is only nine months old and the other one was two <laughs> months old. So, you know, coming home and knowing that like my savings is running on fumes, I knew I had to take action and I had to get out of sight of my comfort zone a lot to make things happen. And I've heard this from you as well as, you know, the more uncomfortable situations you're in, you're probably heading in a more positive direction. You have a better saying for that than I do, but. <laughs> well, I think uh, I've said it in several different ways. The one that resonates with me at the moment is your success in life is directly equal to the number of uncomfortable moments you can sit through. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, it's never nice because you're like, oh, no, not another uncomfortable moment. Um, but you have to kind of remind yourself that the success you want is waiting for you at the other side of these uncomfortable situations. And I've definitely had that experience. I got to the stage and my business partner reached this, Simon, as well, was that we actually started seeking out the uncomfortable conversations because the earlier we had them, the smaller the issue was. The later you have an uncomfortable conversation, the bigger the issue is. So we at some stage i think it's worn off slightly now i'm less excited about uncomfortable conversations uh, but you go through periods in your life don't you but at that stage it was like give me the uncomfortable <laughs> conversations i want to make progress come on <laughs> so let's go back to the picnic bench this i'm yep. I, I have this image in my head of san diego the sun is shining the birds are singing you're on a picnic bench thinking this person tried to get rid of me <laughs> 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 what happened did the person you were meant to meet actually come out or was it someone else yes yes so the general manager came out 
you know, she had just finished a golf lesson herself. So she coaches golf uh, as well as manages the facility. So she came out and was very happy and very warm at the beginning. And like, I think first impressions are huge. And so I had a good first impression of her and the facility and just her enthusiasm about what they were planning on the future and why they were looking for somebody who would be wanting to do similar things that I want to do, which is kind of create this family environment around the facility. So we kind of saw eye to eye with that. So she gave me a tour of the facility and basically said, you know, verbally, if you wanted to come here and work independently, you could start here tomorrow. And I wasn't ready for that. I was like, oh, geez. Okay. Well, it's like, where were you 15 months ago? No. <laughs> yeah. And the terms were good. Right. And, and, you know, from a business standpoint, the terms were good. And it was, I pay a set fee at the facility. They're not going to take a percentage of my business. Wow. And as far as the opportunity goes, I think the sky is the limit. And um, one thing I didn't mention is that during the pandemic, golf was booming because it's a safe sport played outdoors. Socially distanced. Yeah. So while I was sitting on the sidelines in Poland, waiting out to get back to the United States, I was hoping that I would still be able to, you know, kind of catch some of this momentum. So you've got the deal. Did you fly back or did you ask your wife to fly down? Like what happens then? How do you transition? Because like you're moving to a new city by the sounds of it. Yeah. So, you know, I think you've got to realize, you know, you've got to be creative in a lot of decisions that you make. So during the pandemic, I said I would I would not separate from my family, especially for, in a different country. So in this situation, I had to go back to my wife and say, okay, look, here's an opportunity. It looks like it's everything I want. I know I don't have a salary, but I think the best thing is I go down and try for two months on my own without you guys to see if we can make this work. And you guys stay with my parents. So that was the start of the transition, the start of the conversation. My wife, the first thing she said was, she said, that was going to be my idea, actually. <laughs> Wow. That's very yeah. supportive, especially given yeah. young kids and the situation. But in terms of a, a mini experiment, you've got low risk. You're going on your own. You can test it, throw all your energy into it, see if people buy. And if no one's bought in two months and you're not making anything, then we go home and pretend it didn't happen and try and find something else. Yep. Feel fast and feel cheap, like you say, right? Exactly. Yeah, so that was the mini experiment was me coming down here and seeing if I can make it work on my own. And the positives I think that my wife and I agreed upon was that I can focus solely on starting building this business and not have the distractions of other things, just trying to get the whole family settled into this new location. Yes. So you get down there, you've got two months to make a go of it. Did the golf course give you access to their client list to be able to start building the business or were you starting from scratch? Starting from scratch. Wow. So in the golf industry or golf business, and you would know this from sales because sales and marketing is kind of the big part of starting a business. And I've heard you preach that. And that is in the back of my mind every single day. So in golf, the good thing is everybody comes to practice because they want to get better. Now, if I want to coach people, they come for golf lessons. What's the problem that I need to solve? Well, I want to help them get better, right? So the customers are literally right in front of you. You've just got to go there and you've got to meet them. So we have this term... And the golf industry is called walk the line because there's basically a line of people hitting balls. There's a lot ah, of people hitting balls in the driving range. So you go and talk to them and... Yep. And nobody likes that, right? And they think it's awkward and they think it's salesy and this and that. Well, you got to change the tone. And I've learned this from you as well. Like you said, it's like transferring enthusiasm from one person to another. So like I'll walk up to somebody and just say something random. I'll just say, oh, that's a really nice... You got the new driver from 2021. Can I see what that looks like? I haven't seen it yet. Now, I've seen it 10, 20 times. 
but it's just giving me a tactic to start a conversation with the person, right? You need an in. You need a way just to open somehow. 100%, right? You just need an in. And so for me, if I just show up and just like who I am and just talk the way I'm talking to you right now, but start a conversation out of anything, I I could be like, oh, wow, look at the rainbow. And like next thing you know, you start a conversation, you know? It's like... But that's the thing is everybody gets so scared from sales, but it's like, just all you got to do is you just need an end. You just need a way to start the conversation. So I was like, okay, if I can start like 10 or 15 conversations in a day and do that every day, surely something's going to come from it. That's the plan is start as many conversations as you can, speak to as many people as you can. You've got to remember to make an offer at some stage because I think one of the failings people have made in the past is they go and start a bunch of conversations, but then they never actually do the, the sales bit. I guess my question for you is, did the sales bit happen during that walking the line or did it happen like afterwards or when you saw them the second time? When did you introduce? Because there is an art to going from making friends, having a chat to are you looking for a coach? So I thought a warm introduction would be is if I make friends and have that first initial chat, if I could get them to come back without any contingencies or any ties, and I could spend a little bit more time with them, but actually watch them hit golf shots, then I think I could actually make a very good sale. So what I did was I was like, you know, I'm going to offer everybody a free assessment where it's basically I just watch them hit golf shots for 30 minutes to 40 minutes, and then ask them a bunch of questions. And at the end of it, I just say, you know, based on what you're trying to do, instead of telling them what they're doing wrong, I say, you know, you're doing all these things that are great. Here's where I think I could really help you. And I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. And all of a sudden, there was like, bang, it just like clicks in their head. And they say, okay, sure. You know, how do I pay? I don't even have to ask to make a sale. It's like, that was, <laughs> that's been the sales tactic. And it's amazing. And how successful it's, it's worked is offering that free assessment. Because it's just like, there's no ties. It's just so easy for them. Just like, well, yeah, I'll come hit some golf balls in front of you. I love that. I love that. And quite often, people are looking to improve. They're looking like, I just wish sometimes people would make it easier for me to pay. There's things I want to achieve if it was easy and if I had an in, but then sometimes it's quite tough and, you know, they ask for a big amount up front or they ask for this and you get put off and yeah, you get to know someone in a free assessment and think this is fun. We could do this. I love that. So you, you walk the line, do the free assessment. This is sounding very much like the gym industry. Uh, you walk <laughs> around the machines, you offer people a free assessment yeah, well, I wish I had the muscles for the gym industry yeah, too. <laughs> and then you do the free assessment, you speak to them and go, oh, I think I can help the goals that you spoke about in your thing. We could do this. I love that. So I'm guessing that's not been that long since you started this because we're now in June. How long have you been doing this now? My first day at this facility was March 20th. Oh, wow. Yes. And my first sale was on March 22nd. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That gives you the uh, green shoots to say there might be something here. Someone said yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that was basically met the guy, walked the line the first day, set an assessment up on the second day on the job. And then he came for his first lesson on the third day. And that was the sale, basically. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and so I think as I walked away, I went home that day and I, I was like, Maybe this will work. You know, maybe this will work. <laughs> it's the first sense of positivity, isn't it? Because yes. that moment when you've taken money and you've made it, like you created that, your hard work, your energy, all of your, you made that money. You made that happen. And then we've just got to make it happen a few more times. Exactly. Yeah. 
you know, what's interesting too, is uh, my mind coming to this facility was that family orientation, children in golf, they're called junior golfers. And after about six weeks of working at the facility, I hadn't coached a single child yet. Oh, wow. And I remember you saying like, you know, you can have a niche or a niche, but that doesn't mean you say no to other opportunities, right? So <laughs> it's like my niche has been junior golf and children, but I haven't coached a single one yet, right? But, <laughs> but you know, my thought was, is like, okay, well, surely these adults have children or they know somebody who have children. So let's just give it time and let that kind of build and resonate over time. And sure enough, it's it's already, you know, started snowballing in that effect. So what are the kind of things you're putting on for the kids? Do you put on like a Saturday morning, two hours with a bunch of kids and you sort of run some experiences or how does it work? Is it, do you run the sort of father and son stuff? Because I'm already having a million ideas of how you could create experiences for the young, the junior golfers. And I'd love to hear more of those as well over time for sure, because I'm open to those. But yes, definitely. I hosted a parent junior or family event a couple of weeks ago, which I thought nobody would sign up for. And we had 28 people. So that would be 14 kids and 14 parents that came. But the actual weekly programs, so the children come once per week, they come for an hour. And then every other Saturday, they go on the golf course. And so thinking of a niche, a lot of golf programs, they just teach you on the driving range, they teach you in a one-on-one setting. Personally, I think it's boring. I don't think it resonates with children and what they want, which is fun. But also, it doesn't allow them to get on the golf course because you know, for us golfers, the old school mentality is you can't play on the golf course until you have, you know, five or six golf lessons. And I think that's BS. And I think you can play on the golf course from day one. It's just, we got to scale the golf course to everybody. So (laughs) for example, Alan, do you play golf? Have you ever played golf before? I think I've played like three times. Uh, I'm not great. So what I would do with you is I would do the same thing is instead of having you start where it looks like all the other men start, you know, our egos get strong. <laughs> I'd have you start only 25 yards away from the hole. So it's like you could essentially pick up a club right-handed or left-handed and you'd figure out a way to get the ball from A to B into the hole. And so yeah. we do that with the children. So that's kind of the niche because nobody in San Diego is offering this type of programming and that differentiates what I'm doing compared to what everybody else is doing. And so far it's like already taken off. I love that. I love that. So the golf business was set up in March. We're in June. You've only been, you've been going less than three months. Can you see a way to earn the money you need to earn to look after your family, to bring them down to, I'm, I'm assuming that eventually, because you've finished the two month mini experiment now. Mm-hmm. Yep. God, I started so many questions and didn't finish any of them there, Travis. Uh, <laughs> that's very poor podcasting on my half. I'll ask one question. Where are your family at the moment? My family is here. Ah. Oh. Yes, my family's here. And I think that would tell you that the mini experiment paid off. My initial goal for month number one was like, if I could just like, sell $2,500 in the first month, maybe this can work, maybe and that'll at least pay for the rent, cover some of my costs, not the business ones, but cover my living costs down here. And I just thought if I could do that, I could tell my wife that this might work. Month one, I blew that goal out of the water. And my first month's revenue was $7,000. Wow. That's phenomenal. Congratulations, Travis. Yeah, thank you so much. I called my wife and she went and bought a bottle of champagne and drank it with my mom. (laughs) And drank it with your mom. You didn't even get to drink the champagne. (laughs) Unbelievable. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yes. So the mini experiment for month one and for month two was a success. And so then you can afford to get the house, bring the family down, set up, and then becomes the game of growing the business and having fun along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So where are you right now with the business? Like you're three months in, what are your thoughts? Because three months in, like you're barely just settling in. You're just getting going. Three months in, I didn't know what I was doing, Travis. You're way further forward than I was three months in. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know if I feel that way, but that's kind of you to say that. (laughs) Yeah, where I'm at right now. So my primary focus would be to coach group golf lessons, ideally to junior golfers, or also I have a ladies group as well. And I would do the same for men. Now, I still teach one-on-one lessons. So remember going back to what's my niche versus not saying no to other types of business. So I still teach one-on-one lessons to mostly adults, but I would like to in the long-term transition just to teaching the group classes. And I think for two reasons. One, I think it's more interesting for the customer. It's more cost-effective for the customer. And for me, it's high revenue for basically my time that I have to put in. And I actually enjoy doing it more than the one-on-one lessons. I think long-term, I want to transition into having a business that's primarily around just group coaching because I'll be able to have a good work-life balance. Plus, I will be able to uh, earn the money that I would like to earn for myself and for my family. So I guess the question I have is, it sounds like a win-win-win currently. The question I have is, do they win on performance? So are they actually learning as much through the group coaching sessions Because it's more cost-effective for them. It's more interesting. But are they actually improving? Are they actually learning through the group coaching? Is there any way to prove that? Is there any way to show? Because the assumption is one-to-one lessons are better. Like if I have someone standing over me correcting my swing, that is better. But that, like, just because an assumption is an assumption doesn't mean it's true. Right. So I would agree with that. A one-on-one lesson would be better for an adult who's kind of inclined for that type of environment. A good analogy would be like if I'm coaching a child and the child's six years old and I put them in a one-on-one lesson, it'd be like send them to a college age lecture, Okay, which that's not going to work right. So the environment has to be kind of geared around towards their age. And I think a group setting, you may not see the actual immediate results, but let's just talk long-term. You know, we want to keep children in the game of golf for as long as possible. So developmentally, it's much better for them to be in a group setting because the environment itself provides things even my voice can't provide that a lot of times I think is overlooked. So for that type of customer, which is who I want to gear towards, you know, yes, they're going to be improving. And again, that environment is going to provide that. Now, if you're an adult, you're male, you've been playing golf for 20 years. Yeah, you're going to do better in a one-on-one lesson. That's for sure. So are you still doing the podcast alongside things or... There's a nod. There is a nod, which is bad podcast etiquette. Uh, No one can see you nod. Um. (laughs) That's right. They can can hear my voice. Yes. The podcast is is going. And like, you know, when you talk on on your podcast and say, you know, you've got all these tasks and all these things you've got to do and you've got to do your intros and outros. I actually didn't even know what one of those was until you basically said on your podcast. And I was like, well, I I should probably add that into mine. So yes, it just released 42 weeks in a row. So my 42nd episode just came out on the podcast. And, you know, it's been huge. What I predicted when I started is actually starting to come to life because people think I'm, it adds credibility to who I am. People think 
I know what I'm doing or what I'm talking about. When really, I'm just interviewing guests. It's like, hey, I'm learning along with you. But, you know, it, it adds that validation, that credibility to who I am. <laughs> the podcast makes me look better than who I really am, you know, but it's helped me huge as far as from like a network perspective. And I'm, I'm sure you'd agree with that, right? And actually how I found this facility was from a guest who was on my podcast who recommended this management company who runs the facility. And he said, when you're down in San Diego, check out these facilities. And, you know, sure enough, here I am. Wow. So you've created something, you've put energy out into the world, a lead has come back, you you did a lot of following leads, and then good comes from it. And I this is going to sound slightly woo-woo, but I do think if you put positive energy out into the world and you do positive things, it'll come back to you somewhere. Like it very rarely do you put something out and help someone and they immediately help you back. It's normally you help five people over there and then something good happens over here and it's random and it's different, but it seems to work. So I'm a big believer in putting that positive energy out there. And it's the same walking the line. If you walk the line well and chat to people, you're adding to their lives. They're happy to see you. There's smiles, there's laughter, there's enjoyment. And yeah, you're putting positive energy out there. I totally agree. So where's next for the business, Travis? Where are you focused next? Yeah, I think the big focus for me, first and foremost, is because it's only been just over two months, I still need more people to know who Travis Hauser is and what my product is. So I'm going to be doing the summer camps that are run through another organization, but at our facility. Now, the good thing about that is I'm literally going to be seeing hundreds of children and meeting hundreds of families and probably getting hundreds of content information from these families through the summer to then be able to feed that into future business. And I'm currently doing preschool classes. My oldest son's three and a half. He joins that. That's part of my why. And I want to be able to have things that basically any family could show up and say, you know what, like our family can come here and there's going to be something for all of us. So working on building that. But first and foremost, it's just I got to make more friends while I'm here and (laughs) people just need to know who I am. (laughs) Yeah, they sound like it's an incredible opportunity over the summer as well to build the mailing list, to capture the details, the email address, the names, to do all those things. And the more people you can get involved, the more people you can contact, the more people you know, the bigger you'll build the business and go. Absolutely. I would totally agree. So that would be it. And then just feed them into the group programs and then long-term, maybe hire on an assistant coach that then allows me to make each hour see more people. Because for quality, like you mentioned, I don't want to have the ratio of coach to student too high. So right now, the maximum ratio is six students to one coach. So if I want to build on that, let's just say I want to get 12 students to come in or more than six, I need to bring an assistant coach in so that we, way we have extra eyes and more coaching available for everybody within a session. Yeah. Well, you start to run the events slightly differently. There's different ways to do it. I think, yeah, it depends on how you do it, but then you're starting to grow the business and you're growing a real business, which I love. So from this journey of employee to surviving the pandemic to building your own business. What are the biggest things you've learned on this journey, Travis, that you would want to tell the Rebel Entrepreneur audience about? I think if you've had an idea to be an entrepreneur or do something on your own, properly planning as well as you can will help. And I think the financial independence world ties in very well with this because you definitely need to have some financial stability to um, give you confidence going forward. 
And if you understand those things, I think it's going to help it a lot. Now, when I started my business, I was running out of my savings. Fortunately, I had my investment separate, but I was running out of my savings. But I was confident that if I could get the money coming in again, I would get back on track, right? So that helps give you confidence. So yeah, I think the rebel entrepreneurs, they just need to go for it. And I've said again a few times, just don't give up. Like You really would be surprised that an opportunity will be around the corner. If you're enthusiastic, people get to know who you are, what your product is, and how you're going to solve a problem for them. I think you will be successful in one way or another. And do it and be patient because you never know when all of a sudden something's just going to click and it's all going to spring forward and you'll have this new wonderful life in front of you. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So do you just want to take over or shall I tee it up? I'm going to take over right now. <laughs> I love that. Alan, I've been dying to have this moment and opportunity. So I'm going to, I'm the host now. We're going to switch it. <laughs> <laughs> and everything sounds great now. Now, you know, the start of the episode started a little bit gloomy, but it was important for people to understand, you know, what that journey looked like to get to where I am now. It's only been two months. I'm a fresh entrepreneur. What do you think it is that I need to be aware of? And what do you think it is that I should be doing going forward, let's just say over the next six months to a year to kind of help me continue to grow the business and stay on the right track? Love that question. I think the first thought that came to mind is like we're in a rosy golden period at the current moment. Something's going to go wrong. And like they talk about this in the financial independence world, the stock market will crash. It's a fact of life. It's not if, it's when. And in any business, no matter how much your intentions are good, no matter how much you try, something is going to go wrong at some stage. And that's okay. It's not about having a lack of problems, about how you respond to them. So I think just having that in mind, that it's not always going to be rosy. Someone's going to complain. Something's going to go wrong. A club will break. Who knows? Like something random will happen. And that's okay. These things happen then we need to figure out how to get over that. And I think that's really important to realize because I was blindsided by some of the stuff when I was younger and running my business for the first time, something would go wrong and it felt like the end of the world. Like it literally felt like the world was cratering around me because this client had complained or something had gone wrong and I felt devastated. And actually looking back, I didn't need to feel devastated. I just needed to look after them and say, it's okay. I understand. Let's see how we can fix it and do something about it. So I think, you know, there's going to be issues. Any business, there will be issues. So just thought one is have that in mind. And thought two is the thing that actually, I mentioned it just briefly earlier. It's the thing that I never did, which is to build that list of potential customers and mailing list. I never did it. So do you have a mailing list, Travis? Do you have a some kind of customer relationship management thingy. Yes, I've been creating that from almost the beginning. And there was an episode, it was within the last six months. And you talked about this on your on your podcast. And I was like, Oh, crap, I need to get on this. Like I need to start collecting these emails. And so I spent like a week ago, going all the way back to like day one of people who emailed me to make sure I put it on a list. So then that way, when I send out these emails, they're on it. So I've just started doing that, I would say, well, I guess I, I started doing it six weeks ago. Yeah. I love that. And then when it comes to your running your annual junior competition, you can email everyone and say about it. When it comes to you've got your big event or you've got this or you've got that, you can tell everyone about it. 
But if there's no way to get back to all those people you've met over the years, you're lost. So I think over the next six months, it's keep building the pipeline. And even if you get busy, never forget that we've still got to do the sales work. We've still got to do that. Because I think I found out why, Travis, I don't know if I've said this before, I found out why that everyone thinks having a small business is boom or bust. And the reason is, at the start, we have no customers. So we put all our energy into finding customers. Then we get customers, and then we're doing the work. And when we're doing the work, we forget to walk the line, send the emails, make the calls and do the stuff. And then you've been looking after those customers and then it quiets down again. But your pipeline, one's pipeline doesn't exist because you've stopped doing the sales work. And then you get back down to the bottom and you're like, oh, I need to get business. And you go back out. Same thing again, you get busy. And I'm a slow learner sometimes, Travis. This probably happened for about the first four to five years of my business, this exact cycle before I realized Oh, you ha- if you want sales to happen on a regular basis, you need to sell on a regular basis. And it sounds so simple when you say it like that. And I think lots of times people listen to my podcast and go, this is so simple, Alan. And it's like, well, it is. But I tell you what, it took me five years of pain to work it out. So that consistent sales work, building the connections, building over the period will create that foundation of people who love what you do that will keep coming back because no matter how hard you try, you will always have a percentage of customers drop off because they move out of town, they go somewhere else, they take up a different sport for a while, you know, they get excited by squash or rollerblading or skydiving, who knows, and then they come back to golf later. But if you're not filling the funnel from the top, if you're not bringing those people in, you'll have a rocky ride at some point. So I think... My biggest piece of advice to you is you've had some initial success, which is phenomenal, and I love it. Don't switch to completely drinking champagne. Make sure you do the hard, (laughs) gritty sales work. Well, you didn't even get to drink the champagne. Your wife needs to fix that. Yeah. Um, But does that make sense? The, The daily sales activity. Yeah. So to follow up with that, because I totally agree with you, and I also totally agree with the fact that it can be difficult and you get caught up with like catering to the current customer base. How do you balance that out so that like, you know, what is a tactic that you do? Is it something that you do in the mornings? Is it something you do on Fridays? How do you make sure that you hold yourself accountable to remind yourself to tap back into that marketing campaign and making sure that you're still selling to that customer base and those contacts that you already have? I think there's many ways to do it. Keeping the email list engaged. So maybe it's once a month you send an email out to the mailing list. Here's what's going on. Here's the upcoming events. Here's what I can do. Here's the latest podcast episode. You've got content, you've got value, and you're engaging people. And then having that schedule of doing it, you're doing the weekly podcast, which is phenomenal. And then maybe it is something that really worked for my wife and I was sort of a tick sheet. And it didn't have days, but it just had like three times in a week, I'm going to walk the line for half an hour. And it's called a run streak in many things. So my wife did it for meditation and she had to meditate every day. Didn't matter how long, like two, three, four minutes, but she had to meditate every day. And she got to something like 360 days. And by that stage, she's there's no way I'm giving out my run streak. Like, I don't care if you want to hang out with me, Alan. I need to do my meditation because there's no way I'm giving that up. So if you can have the... I don't know, the tick box, the chart, maybe it is 
each day you do one activity towards sales and marketing and you tick it off on the sheet and that's your run streak. That's where you keep going. But we just need to find the way that works for you, that motivates you and inspires you to do the stuff. Because I think the stuff that has made you successful, the danger is once you get the initial success, you stop doing the stuff that makes you successful and then you will stop having the results. Mm, no, I think that's huge. So then one other question would be, you know, once you start feeling that sense of you, you start to get busier, but then you start feeling a little bit overwhelmed, what should an entrepreneur do at that point? So should they, for example, start looking into bringing on more staff? Should they start, you know, how do you balance that? Because you don't want to be so overwhelmed that you stop enjoying it, right? So, you know, what would be a tactic that you would advise when you start feeling that sense of an overwhelmed feeling? So it happens all the time. It's actually happened to me this week. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. I've been recording a new coaching series. I've got behind on the intros, the outros. I've got behind on the description. Actually, it wasn't going to be a coaching series. So I recorded it as two episodes to start with and then recorded three. And now it is a coaching series and it's actually quite good. But I'm feeling overwhelmed. Like, when am I going to Everything get- you do is good, by the way. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. I'll get a big head and then there'll be some bad episodes coming. <laughs> it's like Breaking Bad with the fly episode. There's always one bad episode. Um, <laughs> but the, like, it will happen. And Katie and I got quite stressed because of my stress. And it's taking a deep breath. It's figuring out what you can do. Like, sometimes... I hesitate to say immediately get new staff because sometimes bringing on someone new compounds the problem to start with. And actually the time to start grooming, preparing the next person to work with you is before you need them. So if you're at 80% capacity and making decent money, then that last 20% of capacity, you should start thinking about who can I start to introduce to work with me how can I start using that capacity? Because if you get to 100 capacity, 100% capacity, and then you're thinking, okay, how can I expand? We've literally got no room <laughs> to get that person up to the level you want to. And I probably waited too long. The first person I ever hired was Henry. He joined me and I probably waited too long. I was way out of control by that stage. But I was also a little bit scared because hiring someone is a big step. And I wanted to have a decent amount of money aside so that I could like guarantee that I could pay them for a period. But I think it's doing it like, especially if you've got a thriving business, you've got some money coming in, it's doing it before you need to, which is looking down the road and going, this is going the right way. I don't need to push myself to earn all the money because I think my mistake was I thought I'll just run all of the courses to make it more profitable. Actually, it would have been better if it was slightly less profitable. And I had support and I wasn't driving all over the country and dying at that stage and playing it for the long game because the danger is you lose your passion for what you're doing because it becomes so stressful. But overwhelm happens and it will repeatedly happen. And I was actually reflecting with a, a friend yesterday that it's a cycle. You know, you work really hard to get business and then you get lots of business and then you go, oh, I've got too much business. And then it goes the other way. And then it's a cycle and business comes and goes in waves. But I think, yeah, my advice for you is if you're thinking about support, look for that support before you need it. And maybe it's a part-time person. Maybe it's a few people that enjoy golf that can come in and just do a couple of the weekend sessions. I don't know. Let's start before you need it, trying to put it into place 
and doing it in a way that works for you, works for them. Everyone's happy. Yeah, but it is going to happen. You're going to get overwhelmed. It's going to be take a deep breath, sit down, make a list. What's on my mind? Get it out, work out the next actions and then see how you can come across it. There's not much more. No, I mean, that's good advice. And I think I think part of understanding that it is that cycle and it's going to happen, I think it will probably help me be a little bit more proactive in understanding that like these things will happen instead of like every time like, oh, crap, here it is. And I'm just completely overwhelmed, right? <laughs> but I think awareness is huge. And being able to just hear that from you who's been through these experiences makes me then understand that, you know, it's okay when it does happen, but let's just try to be more proactive so that when it, before it actually gets a little bit too out of control, I'm already kind of prepared to fill that 20% as opposed to wait until I'm at 100. And I think that's really good advice. I like that a lot. Excellent. Last question for you. If I've got income coming in from the business, and then I've also got my expenses for the business, which fortunately aren't too high in the golf industry for me. However, I also have expenses in life. And as a new entrepreneur, trying to figure out how to balance those things. And, you know, I think a little bit of advice on in that area would be very helpful because, you know, from all the advice I've listened to for being an entrepreneur, this is one thing that's always been a little bit difficult for me is understanding how to keep the finances for the business and the finances for my life somewhat separate, but they have to intertwine somewhere. So how's that balancing act even work? So I think from my perspective, as I've got better at this, it's been applying the financial independence principles to business. But I never Mm, really thought to do that in the early days. I never had an emergency fund in my business. But now I have an emergency fund in the business and I have an emergency fund in life. And if things happen like they did in COVID, when COVID hit, our expenses were a little bit higher. Like at a cut down minimum, we were 20 grand a month just to survive with staff and stuff. And we had over a year's worth of runway based on our emergency fund. So we didn't have to panic when COVID hit. We built that up. You're not going to be able to magic up a sum that big to start with. But I do think it's worth starting to build having the one to two months in the business and one to two months in life so that you've got that there just in case. And then I'd start to think about, okay, how am I setting my business up for the future? But really, the business is the cash cow that is going to buy the investments in your personal life. So seeing that business as that brings in the money, it's got its own emergency fund, it'll be fine, it's working. And then the money that comes out and through to your personal life is the stuff I'm going to buy the investments with. That's what's going to buy my freedom. That's what's going to mean that I don't have to be running golf stuff for the rest of my life. I can do it if I want to and when I want to. But that's how I see it. But yeah, applying the financial principles from this world to the business world is actually a really smart thing to do that people don't think about very often. That's solid. I love that because that connects and resonates with me being the guy who before being an entrepreneur was a financial independence guy. So that makes a lot more sense in a very simplistic way. I love that, Alan. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And actually, I was really, really interested in this. When I first met Mr. Money Mustache, Pete, we had a really interesting chat and it was surprising how many of the principles of the Rebel Business School actually tied into the financial independence principles, which was get what you can for free, barter, don't spend money sillily, save. Like if you make money, save it, have it aside. And it's incredible how many of those principles can apply to business. And in essence, it's just good life management. It's just good money management. (laughs) 
that's it's awesome. I love that. It's so good. Thank you, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for letting me flip it and, uh, you know, host uh, your show for a few minutes and, and, and ask you some important <laughs> questions that you know, were very valuable for me and uh, hopefully for other listeners out there as well. I absolutely loved it. I'm really glad you did. And we've got a lot more of that coming up, actually. We're planning a whole set of podcast takeover episodes where the listeners will be taking over the show and nice. grilling me for once. So that is coming up, which I'm very much looking forward to it. So before we move on, Travis, how can people find your podcast? If they're in San Diego, how can they find you? Where can people find out more about your golf business? All right. So first of all, the uh, podcast is called Raising Golfers, like Raising a Child, Raising Golfers podcast. And you can find me on pretty much every podcast platform. And I also have a website, RaisingGolfers.com. And you can find me here. I'm actually in Carlsbad, which is North County, San Diego, at a golf course called Rancho Carlsbad Golf Club. And if you are in this area and you would like to come out to meet me and have some fun and just have a good old chat, you can come for that assessment. And the worst you get out of it is you have to spend 30 to 40 minutes with me. <laughs> I love that. I'm planning on coming back to San Diego. So I will pop in and see you and say hello, Travis. Thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your story, your energy, and your ideas. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Alan. It was a true pleasure. I loved it. And if you're listening to this, please take away that behind every overnight success is a whole host of rejection, pain, <laughs> and putting yourself out there. And Travis went out there. He rung all the golf clubs. He made all the meetings. He saw all the people. And he had to go through a huge amount of rejection to get to where he wanted to get to. So if you're in that period right now, please keep going, keep making the calls, keep doing it, because the extraordinary belongs to those that create it. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.